From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Today, Georgia Republican legislators have unveiled a redrawn congressional map that may defy the federal order to create an additional black congressional district. And Democrat Lucy McBath's seat may be jeopardized. I'm Tia Mitchell, live in Washington. The vote to expel George Santos was bipartisan, although Republicans in Georgia and beyond were about evenly split. But how did Nakima Williams become one of only two Democrats in the entire House to vote to keep Santos in office? Plus, Donald Trump's attorney in the Fulton County criminal conspiracy case makes his first appearance in court. We'll explain lawyer Steve Sadow's arguments on the proposed timing of the trial and how he believes the charges violate Trump's free speech rights. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. I'm Bill Nygut, uh, joined today by my colleague in Washington, our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell. Hi, Tia. I'm really glad we're together this morning. Yes, it's great to join you once again. So much to get into this today's show. Yeah, we have a lot of political news, but Tia, I think we've really got to start by spending just a moment or two talking about what was a heartbreaking weekend for literally thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people across Georgia. The University of Georgia, first of all, lost the SEC championship to Alabama on Saturday. And then yesterday uh, learned that the College Selection Committee had eliminated them from being one of the four teams who would compete for the championship. I know there are a lot of really, really sad fans of the Bulldogs out there uh, right now. Yeah, a lot of sad fans. That was a heartbreaking loss. And I think that, you know, of course, Georgians feel bad to drop. So they knew they would drop after losing to Alabama. But to drop out of the top four is heartbreaking. I actually know a lot of Florida State fans. They're undefeated and were left out of the top four. So um, between Florida and Georgia, a lot of broken hearts. Well, yeah. And and now Florida State and Georgia will play kind of in a consolation uh, bowl which is uh, unfortunate, really, for both of them, which, by the way, means this is a good time to bring in one of our uh, two very special guests on today's show, University of Georgia political science professor um, Audrey Haynes, who's also uh, oversees the um, program which trains uh, political science students for careers in journalism. I'm actually wearing your sweatshirt today, uh, Audrey, the Applied Politics uh, program. I wore it for you. I saw that, and I was so very proud to see it. And and actually, I'm here in between crying fits um, because of this weekend. It was a very sad weekend for all of us, and the resultant uh, ranking was very sad, too. So and, and here at Georgia, you're we're all mourning. You're on the athletic board, too. I mean, you have a bigger – you're even closer to this than many people out there. 
Well, yes, I am a I am a newly appointed member um, by the president of the university to the uh, UGA athletic board. So um, it's my pleasure to serve. We we t- um, w- we care about all of the sports and the students, especially the student athletes who are playing. But um, I actually missed going to the game uh, this weekend. Mm. But uh, in, in hindsight, I'm I'm sort Kinda, of glad I wasn't there. Well, uh, we send our condolences. Uh, to you. you. Andre Gillespie, professor of political science uh, and head of the uh, James Weldon Johnson Institute for the Study of Race and Difference at Emory University. Andre, the one thing we can say about you at Emory is you don't have to worry about these things because you don't have a football team. <laughs> that is the benefit of, of not having a football team and being a D3, but I did watch the end of the game, so I too was sorry that Georgia lost, and I'm an ACC grad, so I am not uh, happy about Florida State not being in the playoffs either. Okay, well, uh, I, it's been a strange weekend for uh, a football for a lot of people. Um, let me start by saying that in a, in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Greg Bluestein. He happens to be down at a news conference that Governor Kemp is holding right now. And when he arrives, uh, we're going to talk about this um new congressional map, as well as the legislative maps that are about to be finalized in at the state capitol. And the congressional map is of particular importance, uh, Tia, because although the, uh, the Republicans in control of the legislature have, in fact, added a new district with a black majority, which is what federal judge Steve Jones required, they did not add an additional black district, which is what he said they should do. And in fact, now Lucy McBath's seat, uh, Democrat Lucy McBath, is once again jeopardized. And we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes when Greg is able to join us since he's been following that so closely. In the meantime, Tia, let's talk about the George Santos expulsion on Friday and talk about it particularly from the perspective of Georgia's congressional delegation where there were some interesting votes on uh, on his expulsion, yes? Yes. yes. So, so overall, m- the vast majority of Democrats were in favor of expelling George Santos. I guess we should start by just reminding people he's been accused of a lot of things, um, improper use of campaign funds, fraud, um, lying about his background. Um, and so the House Ethics Committee did an investigation, came out with a pretty damning report. And that's what changed a lot of minds, particularly among Republicans. So in the vote on Friday, the vast majority of Democrats voted to expel him and about half of Republicans did. Um, Georgia's delegation, um, the Republicans were pretty much split in half. Four voted yes, five voted no. Um But what was most surprising was Nakima Williams was one of just two Democrats in the entire House to vote no. There were, I think, two or three other Democrats who voted present because they didn't want to vote yes or no. But she voted no. Um, And she said it was because she felt 
the people should decide that it's not up to the House to remove a member, no matter how terrible they think that person is. And she reiterated that she thinks George Santos is pretty terrible. And I think that's interesting because what Republicans were arguing is two things. Republicans argued that, number one, George Santos has been accused but not found guilty. So um, the last expulsion was uh, Representative Trafficant. He had been found guilty um, of, of some financial misdeeds. George Santos, everyone, a lot of people believe eventually he will be found guilty, but he hasn't gone to trial yet. Um, and so Republicans said without someone being found guilty, why would we remove them? Of course, they also have the politics to think about. Their very slim majority just got slimmer because George Santos was part of that slim majority. So that was the Republicans argument. Nakima Williams didn't even make that argument. She didn't say, I feel uncomfortable removing someone who hasn't been found guilty. She said, I feel uncomfortable with removing someone at all. That should be up to voters. Yeah. Can I, um, Andra and, and Audrey, let me, I'm going to actually read Nakima Williams' entire statement because I think it is uh, worthwhile. She said this, Santos is a serial liar. He is not worthy of serving as a member of Congress and will likely be convicted of the many crimes of which he is accused. Y'all, that was her language, this is the people's house. The voters of New York's third congressional district must get to decide who represents them. I will always side on giving power to the voters. Elections have consequences. Democrats must show up at the ballot box every time to keep Republicans like George Santos out of office. Andre, there's kind of a double message in that, it seems to me polarized country and a politically polarized Congress, one of the concerns that even some of the Republicans who uh, voted against expelling Santos mentioned was that this is now could be possibly used for political tit for tat, that, uh, you know, when somebody is that politically weak, that they could be removed from office, we could see these types of of, of expulsion votes becoming more frequent. Um, And so uh, it seems like Congresswoman Williams has taken this particular position um, because she's actually trying to protect Democrats potentially in the future from being subject to this type of behavior. I mean, I think the larger question here, and it's the same thing that comes up in impeachment, is there are legal crimes and then there are political crimes. And so there are a bunch of legal crimes that Santos has been indicted for and will face trial for. But are there egregious political crimes that took place here that would suggest that he should have uh, you know, been expelled? from the chamber. Um, And, you know, one of the ones that I look at is just the idea that he completely fabricated his resume. Like, it's not even making up a little bit here. You know, it's not even like, you know, claiming to be a war hero when you were, you know, a veteran who never deployed uh, or you served, you know, sort of in your local kind of national uh, National Guard and never actually, you know, went out anywhere and, and, and actually like fought in combat. Right. This was just wholesale 
everything on the man's resume was made up. And some of us have dealt with HR before. You do that on a job application, you won't pass a background check. You won't get a job if they're doing their due diligence. And if you manage to get the job and they find this out, that's actually actionable. You will get fired pretty much anywhere. There's nothing anybody would do to protect you. So I think that that's what motivated the vast majority of members of Congress, in addition to the fact that they actually do believe the ethics report and how damning it is for some of the things that he is actually currently under indictment for. But there were really obvious political crimes here. We could talk about how like that hasn't worked in impeachments um, in recent memory, but like it did work here. And so this was the type of, of, of kind of self-policing that we haven't seen a lot of lately. It's just that Santos was one, an extreme case. And then two, he doesn't have the benefit of notoriety, fame and wealth that say other politicians that we know who engage in lots of uh, mendacity, kind of who have been able to weather these types of controversies. Yeah, not to mention the fact that he was extremely disliked by most members of the U.S. House. Audrey, when I said there was kind of a double message in Nikema Williams' uh, statement, I meant that at, at the end of it, she says she's really what she's saying, in addition to voters ought to have the decision-making power in this, she said Democrats must show up at the ballot box to keep Republicans like George Santos out of office. So she's also using this as an opportunity to say to Democratic voters, looking forward to 2024, Democrats, you better show up wherever you're living or else you might get Republicans that are uh, unsavory characters or whatever, and not just unsavory savory characters, but Republicans rather than Democrats in office. That's a very good point, because in the district that uh, Santos is coming from, um, it's going to probably be a pretty competitive race and Democrats will have to come out and and vote if they want to replace um, that seat with a Democrat. But I wanted to add to something that Andra said, and that is, if you look at the Constitution, one of the things that the Constitution says about this is it gives uh, Congress the power to make its own rules. And but they it, with a real constraint, and that is that vote to expel a member requires a supermajority of members, whether you're talking about in the House or the Senate. That is a very rare thing that happens. You know, in fact, one of the framers wanted to make it a majority, but it was Madison who said, no, it should be a supermajority because it is so important. And in this case, um, it was clearly even a, a larger number. It was certainly a supermajority that had been there. And I'd also note that this is such a rare thing that's happened. Um, and that's been something that the news has talked about. And in the case with Trafficant, um, he was a Democrat. And so when Nikema Williams is looking at what's happened in the past, what the Democrats did is after he was indicted, they did tell him, you cannot participate anymore. Um, you cannot take any votes. But they waited. And, and they actually kind of waited quite slowly. In this case with Santos, there was an eight-month investigation by the Ethics Committee. And listeners should know that the Ethics Committee, while it has a Republican chairman, is one of the places where you find parity. It is not a partisan committee. It is an equal um, equally balanced committee with the same number of Democrats and Republicans serving on there. So that is even more of a protection for these types of things not to become a tit for tat. You know, uh, Tia, I, I was interested, it, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of uh, the Republicans in our delegation who voted against expelling him. And she made the point uh, 
in uh, her social media post that, that you mentioned, too. She said removing him from office made the math less favorable to Republicans. Well, that's certainly true, but... It's interesting. She doesn't make the argument that the voters ought to be able to decide this. Maybe she has in other settings. I haven't heard it. In this case, it's all about the politics. And I find that interesting because it suggests perhaps that uh, she at least is willing to tolerate uh, a pretty horrific behavior <laughs> uh, by a member uh, because she needs his vote or the Republicans need his vote. I mean, I mean again, again, she she and about half of the other Republicans in the House cast the same vote for pretty much the same reasons. But again, their argument is you're innocent until proven guilty and that this is about precedent and principle. But again, we know that reading between the lines, they were less willing to break precedent when it in doing so also puts them further at a disadvantage as far as governing. Um, I think it would be a lot more problematic, for example, if there was a guilty verdict and then they still would refuse mm. to, for example, remove a lawmaker who had been found guilty of a felony. Um, that probably would be seen as more problematic in the long term, but I think Right now, they can kind of use that as a shield to say, we're not saying he isn't awful. We're not saying we wouldn't remove him. We're just saying to do it at this juncture without him having due process is a step too far. But again, that's politically and a politically expedient position for Republicans to take. Fair point. Andra? That said, I appreciate Congresswoman Green for just saying the quiet part out loud and just being honest about it. Not that people couldn't read through the lines um, about that, but I think it shows like there are some people who thought who think exactly as she thinks. Um, they might not say it and be as forthright about it, but then there were also folks, Demo you know, a couple of Democrats in the case of like thinking about Nakima Williams and Republicans who were also thinking about set setting the precedent of, you know, how low of, of a political crime are we going to get? And would you could, if you could split a caucus and then get the opposing caucus to like vote against somebody, are we going to see an increased frequency of expulsions? Um, so, I, you know, I definitely, you know, take Audrey's uh, point that hopefully this is rare, especially in narrow divided Congresses, but you could see people exploiting um, the, the opposing side being divided on a particular candidate to uh, or a particular member in order to get them booted out of the chamber. And so, uh, you know, we just need to know that these are complex uh, issues and that the, the people have many different motivations for making the decisions that they're making. All right. The governor of New York has, I think, 10 or 11 days to uh, call for a special election. I, it, I guess that district is close to being a swing district, but it's elected Democrats in the past, right, Tia? Um, yes. George Santos's district um, is one of those districts that New York, well, Democrats nationwide felt that New York Democrats didn't work hard enough to preserve their um to preserve some of these swing districts, um, thinking that there was going to be this red wave. And, and when there didn't end up, end up being this red wave, there are a handful of New York districts that were close. Right. And if Democrats had won, they might've kept the majority in 2022. 
So it's definitely a seat where I think there's a former U.S. rep that may run for the seat now that, again, Democrats think is winnable, but not a shoe in. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. Uh, Greg Bluestein, the indefatigable Greg Bluestein, who has just run from a news conference with Governor Kemp uh, to be in a position to talk to us about what happened with this, especially congressional map on Friday, is now with us. We're going to turn to that subject uh, in just a moment. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Every day delivered to your inbox, you can receive the Politically Georgia newsletter. Mornings and afternoons, you can receive all the breaking news in Georgia directly from our political team. Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, Adam Van Brimmer, and Bill Nygut. Me. Just go to AJC.com newsletters and sign up today. And now we're joined by uh, the AJC's political uh, reporter, Greg Bluestein. And Greg, we're really grateful that you would join us because uh, you've been had a very busy morning already. And I will say, we already talked about this in the very top, at the very top of the show, our condolences. You are one of the biggest dog fans out there. And I know this has not been a happy couple days for you. So our condolences, Greg. Thank you for that. It stings, but it doesn't sting as badly as it did before we won two national championships in a row. So, oh. <laughs> All right. uh, Greg, let's let's start by looking at what happened with the congressional map that was released on Friday. It's really interesting. You and I had a back and forth on the Friday show, um, in which you hinted at the possibility that there were some Republicans, uh, especially I think you said in the Senate who mm -hmm. really might be willing to defy uh, federal judge Steve Jones' order to draw an additional black majority map. And I said, do you really think they'll do that? And you said, well, I, I don't think so, but you never know. Well, they did it, Greg. They did, in fact, draw a new congressional map, majority black district, west of uh, the city, as Judge Jones ordered, but the way they redrew the maps, it's not an additional black majority district, right? Exactly. It's not an additional black majority district, which is exactly what the federal judge Steve Jones called for, which is he used the words additional, which is why Democrats are optimistic that at least the federal judge will strike down uh, this congressional map. But yeah, you're right. Lucy McBass district right now is Gwinnett County based in northeastern Atlanta suburbs. This would kind of split her district up into four different pieces held by other incumbents and then create a new majority black district in uh, the western metro Atlanta, which is the judge did call for a new district in that in, in that part of town, um, but in that part of uh, Georgia. Uh, but but by doing so, kind of deprives Lucy McBath of that seat. Now, you know, beyond the legal challenges that are sure to come, uh, there are political challenges because this is the second time in two years that Lucy McBath has been targeted by Republicans. Of course, two years ago, 
she decided to switch districts and run against fellow Democratic incumbent Carolyn Bordeaux, ended up winning that seat. And now she's got a big decision to make sure these maps stand. So, Tia, I'm glad that Greg pointed out this is the second time Lucy Mc- Republicans have tried to get uh, Lucy McBath. Uh, we recall that she was in the 6th District when it was a uh, Democratic uh, leaning district, and she won her first term in Congress there. Then they redrew that 2020 map, and that forced her to go over to the 7th District, which was a Democratic district, and and pushed Carolyn Bordeaux out of that seat. Um, so now we've got to figure, watch to see how she handles this next step. Yeah, I think it's interesting that just watching the map making, watching who's targeting, it at least appears that Georgia Republicans really, really want to make things difficult for Lucy McBath which indicates that they do think she's a threat. They know how popular she is. They know how compelling her personal story is. And I think they're trying and trying to, quite frankly, remove her from elected office and remove her from her platform. Um, But what she showed us in 2022 was that, I know the numbers start, Greg is giving me the uh, thumbs up because like, am I getting my years right? (laughs) But uh, in 2022, what she showed us is that she's like, bring it on. Uh, Draw your maps how you want to. I'll move and I'll run and I'll win. That's kind of the message she sent to, to, um, I guess, her critics. um, Quite frankly, both those Republicans who redrew her district and those who may have been aligned with other Democrats who didn't like the fact that, quite frankly, she ran in a district not only where she didn't live at the time, where she still doesn't live. And um, I wouldn't put it past her to run in this new district if she thinks it's winnable, regardless of where her house is located. Audrey and then Andra. Uh, that's a good point. I'd like to add that the optics of of drawing a district like that that is going when when you're supposed to be responding to um, this this uh, response from the judge about drawing majority minority uh, an additional one, and the person that you end up ousting is a is a black woman that just doesn't look like you are taking it seriously or or being fair. I would also argue. After last night, I went through and I reviewed um, most of the 500-page um, decision that Judge Jones, who is a very well-respected judge uh, in this state, wrote. So much of what was in there was a lot of, you know, well-done research, you know, things that have to do with uh, how we measure um, these districts and how responsive they are to uh, voter representation. And it was, um, it, I, I will tell you, I did this at 1 and 2 a.m. So eventually around page 200, I did fall asleep. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, the thing that's really sad to me is that um, the maybe the response is not as respectful as it could be. But if Republicans really want to put this to rest, what they will do is start responding to 
voters in Georgia. You know, I think we're seeing some change. Black voters in Georgia and minority voters generally are an increasing group. And Judge Jones makes that case that we have seen so much change over time in this in this area. And if they would appeal to these individuals on issues that they care about, perhaps racial gerrymandering wouldn't be such a problem. Right. Um, and then we wouldn't have to go through this process. And and I think, too, that um, they are playing the long game because the 11th Circuit is a little bit more conservative and they probably think that at some point, maybe this decision um, when they appeal it, which I believe they have appealed it. They're just uh, they're going to it's the, the order hasn't been stopped, that they're going to get what they want eventually. Andra. So, you know, I don't necessarily know if. Congresswoman McBath is being a target for the sake. It's just that her district is the one that you can more easily manipulate. And so that's the reason why she's being targeted. Um, what the Republicans were trying to do was to prevent the creation of a sixth Democratic district, right? And partisan gerrymandering is perfectly constitutional and and um, and legal. And so they were like, how can we do this uh, while still preserving our partisan advantage in the state? And so what they decided to do was to address some of the cracking issues that were brought up with the original map. So Southwest Cobb County is now in a majority Black district as opposed to being in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. And I think the legal questions that are going to come up from this case are um, not just the sort of question of you were told to make a sixth district, uh, but then also could it constitute packing to do some of the shifts that they did? So, um, you know, back in the bad old days of blatant racial illegal gerrymandering, so the stuff that was uh, ruled unconstitutional in Shaw versus Reno, which, uh, you know, I'll note just because of her recent passing was uh, the decision was from San the late Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, you can't pack districts, uh, you know, so that they're super majority um, uh, black. So the only district that would have come close to that would have been the old 13th district in, with David Scott's district. So um, we're not seeing super majority districts, but like they added additional black voters in the fifth district in Nakima Williams's district. Um, you know, like like th those are excess like Democratic voters, right? Does it constitute packing? But her district goes from forty nine percent black to fifty one uh, percent black, so like they might be able to get away with it because of of that. And then there is sort of the larger issue of how Gwinnett County has been split up. So being split, you know, with the sixth, um, with the seventh, and then with the 9th and the 11th districts. So, okay, you've made this district uh, more Republican. You've shifted the Black voters out of the district into these adjacent districts. I think a big question there is, well, what does this say um, about the, the rights and the voting ability of Asian American and Latino voters who are covered under the Voting Rights Act under language protections, right? And so you maybe have just traded one problem for another. It's a question of whether or not uh, Judge Jones is going to bring this up and whether or not that's going to pass on appeal. Um, and then there's the state legislative districts and the state Senate districts in particular, where now you have the North Metro Democrats uh, whose district lines have, for all intents and purposes, kind of shifted such that those districts are now have more Republican voters from north of there in those districts to try to preserve that. So. Yeah, and I want to, okay, the, the state maps are uh, fascinating as well, and I'm not sure we've got a lot of time on those today. We, um, Greg, do we expect a vote as soon as today in the opposite of bodies? Will the Senate map be voted in the House, the House map in the Senate today, or is that still ahead of us? 
Uh, well, the the, the, the legislative, legislative maps were voted on Friday. Right now, as we speak, the Senate is now pouring over the congressional maps. And so we expect voting um, to, to be underway, I mean, in the next few days. But w- there's a chance that we could be out of here on Thursday instead of Friday. So they're, they're on an expedited timeline. Okay. So, and then, T, I want to bring you in too. But, Greg, um, so apparently the way this map, according to what I read in the Politically Georgia newsletter this morning— uh, my jolt of morning uh, political there news. The, uh, so Hank Johnson, of course, a black Democrat, uh, he's going to be able to retain his seat, which is based in Lithonia, based on the map. Uh, Nakima Williams, of course, is safe in the fifth. Um, Andre just pointed out, if anything, they increased her black majority. But David Scott, longtime serving uh, member, uh, who says he's not going to retire is is now going to have to shift his thinking about where he goes. And then, Greg, it also raises a question of just where does Lucy McBath look uh, for a district that she might be able to win with Democratic votes, presumably. Exactly. And remember, Congresswoman McBath does not currently live in her district now. Um, and Congressman Scott doesn't currently live right. in his district now either, right, Tia? Right. And uh, there will be pressure on the on Congressman Scott in particular. Um, there's been a lot of talk and speculation about whether he would retire last term, this term. Tia is talking to him. He's authoritatively said to her multiple times, right, Tia, he's mm-hmm. not retiring. That that talk is going to amplify, though, now that there's a new district and now that we have uh, a number of up-and-coming Democrats who want to seek out that new district. Now, presumably, theoretically, Lucy McBath could run for either one of those districts, 13th or on the on the west side or this new kind of uh, inverted C-shaped district on the east side uh, of Atlanta. And same with David Scott, if he wants to. Uh, but the geographic kind of boundaries make sense. Make I, I guess the Democrats I've talked to say it makes a lot more sense for David Scott to stay in that western metro Atlanta part and for Lucy McBath, should she run again, which we expect her to do so, to run in that eastern portion of the city. Tia, a lot of this un- unfolds on your beat. It's going to be fascinating to see how these uh, members make their decisions. Yeah, it will be. And again, a lot of the focus is on Macbeth because her platform is so huge and because she's so often in conversations as a Democrat who could run statewide in Georgia or, you know, just continue to have a platform. Um, and, And there aren't a lot of criticisms of Macbeth that hold her back. She, you know, like there's no scandals so far. She hasn't made any big missteps. So, Um, A lot of people like her in office. They don't want to see her go Um, the same way they didn't want to see Carolyn Bordeaux go, um, even though she only had one term. But it'll be interesting to see what Macbeth decides to do for sure. Okay, so, Greg, let let me finish up. I'm grateful that you were able to spend a little time with us today and I don't want to keep you too long. But but let's talk about the practicality of all of this. So. Judge Jones has required that the legislature present him new maps by December 8th. Friday. Friday. Okay. Um, It is likely that appeals are going to move up the line, especially on the congressional map, although I think we expect the Senate legislative map, if not the Democrat, the uh, House map as well, will be appealed. Have I got that right, Greg? Senate Senate map for sure. Senate map um, for sure. Democrats are most optimistic about that one, actually. All right. So we're already looking at January, February, uh, in terms of appeals. What mm-hmm. does this mean 
for the elections, primary elections in May, and then a general election in November. And qualifying for those and seats qualifying, early right, next year. Right. Yeah. It means a, a big giant question mark because there's a there's a couple of things that could happen. Look, there's a there's a way that these the, the maps that we now live in now could still uh you know preside if, if there's a, appeals. Um and you know, there there might be just a decision, hey, to keep the current maps for one more election cycle. I don't think that will happen, but there's that. There's a chance that these new maps could be in place, um, but that there could be a different round of maps in 2026. And then there's a chance, of course, for a special master to go in and redraw all of this. And this is that's the Alabama scenario that George, a lot of Georgia Republicans, frankly, did want to avoid. And and then and I think as Professor Gillespie said, there is that sort of long gain sentiment. They do feel very confident. Levin Circuit will end up uh, overruling whatever Judge Jones ends up doing uh, if he ends up throwing out these maps. But that is a big gamble to take, especially if you that gamble involves a special master who doesn't care about, you know, who might not care about the personalities and people in the, uh, uh, you know, who are, who are helping guiding this redistricting in the Republican Party, right? So there's a chance that a special master comes in and says, let's start all over again. Let's not worry about which Republican incumbents we could be targeting, right? All right, Audrey, we, we're going to have to get to a break in a minute, but I'll give you a last word on uh, this uh, situation right now. Greg's right. It's my last word. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say I'll add one thing to you, and that is when Greg talks about a special master, let's be clear to our listeners what that means. In Alabama, where the legislature refused to comply with a Supreme Court ruling that they had to draw additional black majority districts when they said, forget about it, we're going to just go our own way. This map went back to, back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, okay, you didn't do what we wanted. You're not going to be in control of the map. We're turning it over to a special master, and the legislature has lost control of their map. And that is potentially a scenario that could play out in Georgia, depending on how the courts rule. I think Republicans are banking that this could drag out and buy them more time. I think mm -hmm. that's partially by design is this whole thought of this being dragged out in the courts in ways that allow Republicans to continue running, even if eventually maps are thrown out. That's that we've already had one cycle with challenge maps. We can't assume that there won't be another cycle with the same challenge maps. All right. Um, let's, that's uh, really a wonderful conversation that I appreciate. Greg, real quick, you were in a news conference. Governor Kemp, is there a headline? Uh, the governor wants to speed up the income tax reduction. So uh, very exciting stuff. But uh, basically, next year, there'll be a lot more debate about uh, how quickly and how 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 expensive and how uh, how much Georgia's income tax is saving Georgia residents. I think I'm correct that I already looked at AJC.com. You've already filed something on this, right? It is out there on, of course uh, on you the did. website already. <laughs> All right, Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for spending a little time with us uh, today. We've got a lot more to talk about on the show. And, Greg, we'll see you right here at WABE tomorrow. Take care, Greg. We're going to get guys. to a break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Bill Nygut. No media organization in Atlanta swarms politics like the AJC. We produce this podcast and the Politically Georgia newsletter, and now we have the new Politically Georgia PM Update newsletter. Make it your afternoon appointment to get caught up on what's going on while you're at work. You can get it in your inbox for free every weekday afternoon. Just go to AJC.com slash Politically Georgia newsletter. That's all one word, all spelled out. AJC.com slash Politically Georgia newsletter. Tia, pretty fascinating court appearance on Friday. It is the first time in the Fulton County criminal conspiracy election election conspiracy case that we have had an attorney uh, go in and make arguments on behalf of his client, Steve Sado's client, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so let's spend a few minutes talking about what Sado argued. Um, first of all, I think one of the headlines is that, say, you know, remember that Nakima Williams has already asked Judge Scott McAfee, who will hear this case in Fulton County Courts, to set an August date for the beginning of the trial. She has suggested the trial could go on, of course, for months, even, she has said, it could go on past the inauguration of the next president of the United States. So one of the things that Sadow said was that if you plan a trial for Donald Trump as the Republican nominee for president in August, that is an example of major serious election interference. An interesting argument, Tia. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, District Attorney Fonnie Willis um, has laid out her timeline Um And I think that everyone realizes the balance between not wanting to let a trial linger for years and years, but also realizing that there are a lot of competing um, things on former President Trump's calendar between running for office, between multiple court cases that he faces. But I also think just, again, if you take away the people involved, And just say, if someone who's running or has an important job promotion, a public, but a public official, wouldn't you want to know whether or not they were guilty of a crime um, as soon as possible? Um, And so I also so that's the the thinking. And we understand that Steve Sadal is going to try to do what he thinks is best for his client. Um, But I do think it's interesting because a lot of what we heard Friday, and there were a couple of hearings, um, different defendants, not just former President Trump, but a lot of things we heard Friday were points raised that different courts have already rejected, if not Judge McAfee himself. Um, And so these attorneys are also walking a fine line 
because they've got their own professional reputations at stake here. Um, they're going to eventually the, this Trump case will end and most of these attorneys are still going to be practicing. And so they've got to think about their legacy here as well. So I think both of those are just really interesting juxtapositions. Uh, you added uh, the second element to Seda's argument, which, of course, is that uh, he's being prosecuted for his free speech right to challenge the legitimacy of the 2020 election. But, um, Andra, just for a minute, go back to the timing issue. I want to read you the quote from Sadow. Can you imagine, he said, the notion of a Republican nominee for president not being able to campaign for the presidency because he is in some form or fashion in a courtroom defending himself? That would be the most effective election interference in the history of the United uh, States. Now, of course... Trump will most likely be tried in federal court uh, uh, before we get to the Fulton County uh, case. Uh, so we should keep that in mind as well. Well, there, there's so much there. So first of all, most people, if they're being indicted, usually don't run for office because there is too much going on. Um, and so his decision to not bow out, right, I think reflects his decision making that most people wouldn't make and frankly don't have the privilege to be able to make usually. Um, I do wonder about the timing of this argument kind of being done during business hours and then Judge Tanya, uh, Tanya Chuckin's decision sort of basically denying the same thing in the federal trial for January 6th. So I wonder if Sada would have made that argument you know, if she had issued that decision the day before. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily portend well for Judge McAfee being sympathetic to that particular argument here. Um, and then, you know, the final thing that I'll say here is that Trump's claim that this is inhibiting his free speech and preventing him from campaigning just doesn't pass the smell test. For a number of reasons. Um, one, we went through an election cycle where somebody successfully campaigned from their basement, basically. Um, and so you could kind of be constrained and still manage to figure out how to run a campaign. And then second of all, he is underestimating or ignoring the fact that Trump gets a lot of earned media from these court appearances. And so his name ends up at the top of the news cycle. That was how he was able to run a campaign on a relative shoestring and win in 2016. So um, and he knows that he plays the indictments for sympathy so that he can solidify his base who view him as a martyr in many different ways. So, I mean, you know, on all of these, uh, you know, fronts, I would basically, you know, say this isn't true. I'd probably call BS and I wouldn't, you know, be surprised if the judges kind of factor that into their decision when they say nice try, but you're going to have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, Audrey, I want to bring in you uh, uh, your thinking on this before I do real quickly what what Andra's talking about is Judge Chuckin last week uh, dismissed this notion that the federal trial will interfere with Trump's ability to run for president because she basically said, this guy's a criminal defendant. Uh, he is going to have to stand trial. He'll find ways to campaign outside of court hours. We are not going to let somebody running for president uh, 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 have take precedence over the fact that he's on trial for criminal offenses. No, and I'd go back again to the framers. I mean, always, um, in most cases, they understood that 
the whole thing about the, the American Revolution is in choosing a leader of this country. Remember, they called them Mr. President. They were a citizen. The authority in the office is embedded in the office, not in the individual. You don't get special privileges to do whatever you want. You are, first and foremost, supposedly like everyone else. And there are some privileges that come while you are in office, but while you are not in office, they're gone. Um, and the First Amendment itself is is there to protect us so that we can criticize our government and the actions of the government. It's not meant for someone to use to overthrow the results of an election. But I would note that I expect there to be a tremendous amount of chaos in this whole um timeline of proceeding. It's it's not something that we have gone through. And the most interesting thing is almost anything can happen. And, and in hindsight, I think Republicans would have been so much better off if they had joined forces with Democrats, impeached Trump. They wouldn't be dealing with this because Trump would not have been able to run again. If he is convicted of a crime, and we can go back to trafficking, it's interesting how this goes full circle. Trafficking ran for office while he was in prison. He got 15% of the vote. He lost, and Tim Ryan won. But can you imagine a scenario like that in the United States of America, a country that has always espoused these high, you know, principles of, you know, um, of justice and, and things like that? We're going to have someone who uh, has tried to overthrow um, an election, um, it, it has been indicted in all kinds of things um, from, you know, hush money to in, inflating um, uh, values to, you know, I, keeping documents of, of, of national importance in his bathroom. I mean, everything. And yet here we are. Tia, uh, uh, you already alluded to the fact that uh, the trouble with this Sato argument is that uh, Judge McAfee already dismissed the uh, freedom of speech question when Kenneth Jesperos attorney, um, uh, and I think it was either Jenna Ellis or Sidney Powell's attorney, who also raised that saying they were just uh, uh, taking advantage of their constitutional right to uh, make statements saying that the election may have been fraudulent. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting what Judge McAfee has said at different junctures is these are arguments, certain arguments he's rejected, some arguments he's accepted in these like pretrial hearings. But there have been other arguments where he said, this is an argument to be made in trial. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to unilaterally decide the outcome of this case. If you think this is something that... um, helps your client, if you think this is something that shows your client's innocence, then make it during your argument at trial. It's not enough to get the cases thrown out without a trial. And again, we understand that none of these defendants want to go to trial. Um, But I think what we've heard from Judge McAfee is He's not going to be used to prevent a trial from going forward. He's made it more clear what he wants to do is see a trial move forward that's fair to everyone involved, um, not to prevent a trial. Andra? 
you know, I, I agree. I mean, this is part of Trump's usual dilatory strategy, um, which I think he hopes is convenient because what he wants to do is delay these trials, hopefully win an election and think that as president, he can stop prosecution. Um, and, you know, other people don't have the resources that he has because most people wouldn't try to waste billable hours on frivolous lawsuits that are not going to stand up in court uh, to try to waste time. But this has, has been his strategy. Um, and because he has more money than most or access to more money than most, he's actually able to waste time and run down the shot clock, if you will. Um, and I think it just becomes a question of when you're doing it in four simultaneous cases, are you actually going to be able to keep that many balls in the air to basically uh, be able to run that proverbial shot clock down? Well, well it strikes me also that it, Donald Trump is not happy with attorneys who don't fight as aggressively as possible for him in court. He is more than happy to dismiss a lawyer who he doesn't think is shark-like enough in making uh, uh, his uh, case uh, in front of any number of judges who have had to deal with uh, Trump cases. Um, we're almost out of time for today's show, but uh, Tia, oh, yeah, we've got very little time to talk about this, but I thought about you over the weekend, the Beyonce documentary concert uh, finally uh, appeared in theaters. You went to see her live because in you are such a huge fan. Yes. But here's why I bring it up. Um, I read a piece in the New York Times by a uh, professor of religion who said um, she thinks that Beyonce is in fact really a new kind of leader spiritual leader and philosophical leader for us. She said, she quotes Beyonce as saying this, after all that we've been through in the world, I feel like we all want a place to be safe and connected to other human beings. Everyone has a thirst for community. And the reason I thought about this is our politics are so on the other side of that. We are so filled with hatred um, and bigotry in terms of politics today, so harshly divided. We turn to somebody like a Beyonce to offer us a different vision for the future. And I thought you probably would agree with that more than most. Well, and I'll be clear. I am not a member of the Beehive. Uh, that would be Maya Prabhu, who we wouldn't get on here. I am so I'm a fan, but I am not a super fan the way Maya is. So I but I will say Renaissance, the album, the tour and now the movie, which was number one at the box office, has been seen as a, a safe space, a place of joy. But there, it's not without controversy. There are some people who are actually trying to boycott the movie. Yeah. Because it was shown in Israel. Absolutely. I understand that. Even Beyonce gets caught up in politics. Um, Tia Mitchell, always love being with you. Audrey Haynes, Andre Gillespie, thank you so much for a terrific conversation. Uh, before we leave you, I want to remind you that if you have a question you'd like to ask us, you can call the Politically Georgia call-in hotline anytime. Leave us a question. Be sure to include your name and where you're from, or else Shaney B is going to make up some ridiculous name for you on the air. But we'll answer your questions on Friday's show. The number to call is 404-526-2527. Remember, you can now hear Politically Georgia live on 90.1 WABE weekday mornings at 10. Or look for Politically Georgia in your favorite podcast app sometime around 1 o'clock each afternoon. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review 
and share Politically Georgia with a friend. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,